Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, let's pray. We'll jump into the Word here. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for just all the kindnesses that you showed us in 2021. We thank you for the Word of God and the truth that we find in the book of Revelation. We pray that your spirit would rest on us tonight and give us grace as we study and talk through these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, in our study on the book of Revelation, and we've been doing this for quite a while, um, we've been going uh, theme by theme, which is a little bit different approach to the book of Revelation than maybe uh, you might be used to. And, oh yeah, that's okay. We'll just make that work. Um, I'm learning my new limitations here. Okay, uh, anyway... Um, we've been going through thematically, and uh, the last couple of sessions, we've been focusing on various aspects of the Harlot Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. And, uh, you know, in the last session, we were talking about uh, her judgment. We're really focusing on if you're Babylon, how bad is it to be you? Because you just got judged bad. Well, now, tonight's session, we're coming at it from a little bit different angle because it actually has a very different uh, layers of impact. The impact of Babylon's judgment on the nations. So not Babylon, oh, so sad for you, you're gone. Now it's, oh, nations. Babylon is gone. How do you feel about that? And, uh, and not just the nations, but we'll look at a couple other uh, points of uh, reference as well. So as we uh, jump in here to the notes, um, part one here. Her fall is unexpected, and it's total. Uh, the, the part about the unexpected is really what I, I want to focus a good bit on, but I just want to read you here a passage out of Ezekiel chapter 16 that describes the fall of Babylon at the end of the age. It's very similar to the passage that we see in Revelation uh, 17 and 18, but let's read it here. Woe, woe to you declares the sovereign Lord. In addition to all your other wickedness, you built a mound for yourself and you made a lofty shrine in every public square, offering your body with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. You engaged in prostitution, so I stretch out my hand against you and reduced your territory. I gave you over to the greed of your enemies, you adulterous wife, you prostitute. Hear the word of the Lord. Because you poured out your wealth and exposed your nakedness and your promiscuity to your lovers, I will bring upon you the blood vengeance of my wrath and jealous anger. Then I will hand you over to your lovers and they will strip you out of your clothes and take your fine jewelry and leave you naked and bare. They will bring a mob against you who will stone you and hack you to pieces with their swords. That's so intense. They will burn down your houses and inflict punishment on you. Then my wrath against you will subside and my jealous anger will be turned away from you. Uh, what we want to just focus on here is the, the totality and the unexpected uh, nature of this judgment and how that's going to impact the nations. Now, just you know, a little bit of backstory here. The nations have been wholly reliant on Babylon, the system that she's created, the, the whole government that flows out of uh, this city. And she doesn't get attacked. She gets removed, it, the city of Babylon, which will be the capital city of a global empire, gets removed, destroyed, it's just gone. And so you just, you think about in any, you know, war experience that we have reference of in human history, uh, at least in modern history, you think about cities that got, you know, really messed up. 
Most of them, there was still a city when it was done, when the war was over, most of them. This one, that city is gone. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. And so the, the judgment is total. It's complete. But it's also sudden. No one sees this coming. There are no signs that there's war coming for Babylon. There's no um, you know, expectation or, or slow decimation. It's not like you know the, the apple's getting eaten one bite at a time. It's one day Babylon is queen of the earth. The next day Babylon is gone. It just... Whoa, that's sudden. And if you're talking about that sort of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, difference in a, in a local landscape, I just think about if your favorite coffee shop was there yesterday and then tomorrow you go and it's just gone. No more coffee shop. That's a little disruptive. But when you're talking about the governmental headquarters of the planet, all of a sudden being gone, this is a serious problem. This is going to cause significant uh, ache. It's an unexpected global collapse when Babylon, who's in charge of the planet for all intended purposes, is removed from the face of the earth. Her, her authority, her influence, her, her systems, gone from the face of the earth. The nations are going to be left in a bit of an identity crisis when this happens, because I want you to kind of picture the dialogue that we've been having about the, the reality of Babylon, all the nations partnering with Babylon all the nations to a significant degree will have lost some of their national identity, some of their what makes them them. In order to be able to participate with the harlot system, they're going to have to compromise and actually lose pieces of what it meant for that nation to be distinctly themselves. Things about their culture and maybe their language, about their policies, about you know holidays. There are a lot of things that are probably going to have really been either muted or lost during the period of Babylon uh, rule over the globe. Well, now Babylon is no longer there. Babylon is no longer leading the charge. And you've got all these nations that are like, okay, well, who are we now? <laughs> what do we do? Do we go back? Do we even remember how to go back? What do we do now that Babylon has fallen? It creates such agony in the hearts of all those that are experiencing this loss. And it actually gets even worse because they're not thinking, oh, Babylon's gone. Now there's an antichrist that we've all, you know, got to uh, submit to. That's not their initial first thought. Their initial first thought is the system that's been ruling the globe of which we've all been annexed into is now destroyed. What do we do with this? How do we move on? Universal economic hardship. You just imagine if you're anybody in charge of money in a substantial way, and all that money is flowing through Babylon, and now Babylon is destroyed, you're, I mean, everything in you just clenches. You're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? There's going to be such significant economic challenge, hardship, uh, question. There's going to be so much uh, uh, just up in the air that is going to cause fear, anxiety, angst, pain, uh, a lot of uh, territory grabbing, money grabbing. You know, uh, do we all remember what happened with the toilet paper in 2019? You know, I mean, what in the world? When, when COVID hit, everybody started going to the store and buying toilet paper. I don't know why it was toilet paper, but you couldn't find toilet paper for the life of you. It was just it was a TP grab, and that was because of a crisis that I don't exactly know how that connects to COVID, but it somehow did, and we all lived through it. 
This is going to be in a similar thought process, but in relationship to power, influence, finance. When Babylon falls, all the nations are going to be in an instant power grab. They're going to be trying to figure out how do we survive the coming storm. Whatever comes next is very uncertain, but what we do know is the gal in charge is gone. And now there's no one at the helm that we can, you know, perceive, at least for a moment. And so there's a near, uh, this is going to cause significant pain for the nations. Now, there's a near instant transition to global dictatorship. We don't know exactly what that uh, time frame looks like and how that progresses. We know that Babylon is judged and the Antichrist takes over that system. What we don't know is, does that all transition in one minute? one day, one week, one month. We don't know exactly how quickly that transitions, but I'll just tell you by the human dynamics, the human nature dynamics and just systems, it seems unlikely that it's going to be seamless, especially since Antichrist is the one that goes in and burns Babylon. And Babylon was the, the communications capital of the planet. So, so the Antichrist comes in and burns the city, but that city was the city that the whole planet was looking at, learning from, paying attention, trading with. So now the most important city, and therefore probably the most technologically advanced city, the most communication-connected city, the most everything city, just got burned. And now the Antichrist is in charge, but I don't know that the, the transition to power that is perceived by everybody happens in a moment. I think that's probably going to take a little bit of time. I, again, I don't know, a week, a month. I don't think it'll be a year, but it's going to take a minute there for uh, the, the realization of what just happened and how it impacts everybody for the whole story to get out. What's going to happen, though, is the nations will be rightly terrified at the torment of Babylon. Look what it says, uh, Revelation 18.10, terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry. They're terrified. They're not, they're not just sad. They're terrified. They are looking at this, and it's causing... It, there was so much stability five minutes ago. All the nations felt stable, unified, rich, and they went from that to like losing everything in a moment. And they're watching the city burned. And it says they stand far off and cry. They don't come to her rescue. They don't try to save her from this, uh, this um, you know, fate. It says they stand far off. They're separating themselves. To me, that statement does give some indication that they're able to see uh, that there's a, a, a global revelation that the Antichrist has you know, reared his ugly head, lost his mind, burnt the city with fire, uh, is causing problems because it says that they're standing far off. The reason you stand far off from something is to remove yourself from it. You stand far off from something so as to not associate, so as to be able to witness and observe from a distance that is safe. You know, nobody goes up and says, here, kitty, kitty, to a bobcat. If you ever see a bobcat, you stand far off and observe. Same thing with a bear or a lion. Well, they're kind of looking at this situation. It says that they stand far off and they are terrified at her torment. So there is a measure of the revelation and even the, the expectation of, okay, if that just happened to Babylon and this guy is really mad and upset, what happens to us next? Now, I, I also want to give another frame of reference. 
the world has never experienced a single global, truly global dictatorship. That's never happened before. So the nations are not necessarily seeing the judgment of Babylon equaling, oh, we're about to go into global tyranny. This guy is now going to take over the whole planet. I don't know that they're going to have the, that revelation. We have it because we have Bible that says it. But no person watching the scenario is going to naturally think, oh, that guy's in charge of the planet now. I just don't think that that's how that's going to flow initially because it says he has to take the planet over by force with armies, which means even if there is a recognition, this guy is bad news, he will not have taken over the global uh, you know, economy, global armies, global territory. He will not have done that in a moment's notice. That's going to take time for it to happen. And again, I don't think that the majority of the earth is going to be thinking day one, this guy will be successful in taking over the entire planet. There's going to be process. All the nations are going to be terrified at this. Her irreversible judgment, Jeremiah 51, verse 8 and 9, Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. There's that suddenly again. Wail over her. Get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her and each go to his own land, for her judgment reaches to the skies and rises as high as the clouds. Did you catch that? Each to his own land? That's the description of what we just read. They're terrified and they stand far off. Who's they? It's the world's leaders. The world's leaders, the economic leaders, everybody. They used to convene in Babylon. Babylon was the center of the planet. But now it says she cannot be healed. There is no resolution to this. Babylon is over. What do we do? Let's all go back to our home countries and all the envoys go back home. All the ambassadors, all the financial you know, leaders, all the, the uh, hosts and, and uh, uh, leads of businesses that were based in Babylon, they all go back home. That's what's just being described in Jeremiah 51. I'm telling you, Jeremiah 51 has got a ton of those kinds of little insights. If you're not familiar with Jeremiah 50 and 51, uh, as it relates to the heart of Babylon, you really want to go on that journey. There's a ton of nuggets there that are important. All right, the whole world cries out. I just want to give you specifically the crying out part, the, the uh, in fear and, uh, and torment and all that. It says this, the leaders of the nations are the kings, Revelation 18, 9 through 10, when the kings of the earth... They will weep and mourn over her and cry, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. So that's the kings. So I just want to make sure that we've got uh, the, the different categories that are listed here. Category one, that is impacted by her judgment, that is terrified by it, that is crying, woe, woe, that is weeping and mourning over her, are the kings. And I don't think that'll just be the single high, highest ranking leader of every government. I think it will be that guy or gal, as well as their cabinet, as well as their governors, as well. It's the government of the planet will see her and will weep and will mourn and will cry out, woe, woe, in terror and fear and pain, anguish. Not just, however... The kings, also the merchants. The merchants are the key leaders of industries, global economics. And they will all be intricately involved in Babylon, getting rich off of Babylon and making Babylon rich. These merchants elsewhere are also called the world's great men. 
Okay, that's another description of them. They're the ones that are the, the highest profiles, the most followers on whatever social media platform. They're, they're the ones that are, are leading industries and are, are, are in charge. It says this, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. It doesn't say merchants in that phrase, but if you go look at the passage, it's the merchants that are the ones saying it. Revelation 18, 11, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. See, there's another interesting point. It doesn't say possibly won't. It says global economics will be disrupted. Babylon is judged. This nation over here that loves to sell this particular thing, no one buys it anymore. Why? Because the entire global economy was based in Babylon, and Babylon is burned with fire. There is now no way. There, a new system will need to be developed. There will need to be new processes put into place. Because, you know, just think about all the restaurants. As soon as COVID hit and, uh, you know, the, uh, the occupancy went down to, you know, zero or whatever, 10% or whatever the lowest point was, a restaurant that was used to feeding people inside the restaurant is now doomed if it can't adapt and start doing to-go orders more or something. This is what's going to go on. There is a complete overturning of the economic reality system processing key city. It's suddenly removed, and now all the economic leaders are going, no one buys our stuff anymore. Everything was on sale in Babylon. Everything was being processed through the Babylon bank. Everything was Babylon, Babylon, Babylon. Babylon's gone. How do we even sell? We don't even set up a lemonade stand at the end of the street and start selling your wares because they don't know what to do. They have no way to buy or sell anymore. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment, and they will weep and mourn and cry out. So they're weeping and mourning and crying. They are devastated. It's possible that the merchants are even more devastated than the, the, uh, than the world leaders. They're like, they do not know what to do. They are so confused. At least the world leaders, to some degree, still have measure a significant measure of ownership over their uh, country, and they can, they can kind of get together with their key leaders and make some decisions and, and have some things uh, shape up and, and at least be a measure of protected and, and rebounded fairly quickly because they've already got a national infrastructure in place. But if you're a business and your entire world was the co-op that you were a part of called Babylon and Babylon is now gone, you don't know what, you don't know how to, you got to start making some phone calls and start from scratch. You don't have a, a nation that you're running. You've got your company that you're running, but your company was entirely reliant on Babylon and it's gone. The leaders of the sea. I did a little bit of homework today just to get uh, some close uh, numbers. It's estimated about 80% of all the world's goods are at some point transported across the earth in shipping containers on the ocean. 80% of the world's goods, approximately, at some point are on a boat across the planet in a ship. Wow, that's, that's most. <laughs> 80% is a lot, okay? Well, look what the, the maritime uh, leaders, they all chime in. They are all like... Oh my gosh, it's just as bad for us. This is what it says. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea. 
So you just put all those, those are some pretty uh, widely encompassing phrases. You put all this together, there's nobody on the Wawa who's going to be okay. Everybody's going to be in pain. They're all going to have the same problem. And here's what it says. They stand far off when they see the smoke of her burning. And they exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? And they'll throw dust on their heads with weeping and mourning. And they'll cry out, whoa, whoa, oh, great city. Where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Don't have this in the notes, but it's a, a thought that I've thought a number of times. Um, Babylon is going to be on the Euphrates River uh, as Babylon was in times past. The Euphrates River, uh, I think, is going to experience some level of significant upgrade in order to be able to create a greater measure of port passage. Uh, even potentially, I'm thinking, somehow potentially, you know, through the Mediterranean Sea, you know, to the, to the Red Sea or to, you know, to the Persian Gulf, somewhere in there. Something like the Panama Canal. Because what has happened here is we're just told, it just said at this, this statement, all who had ships on the sea, the sea is a big thing, all who had ships on the sea, became rich through her wealth. Now, this is the judgment of the city of Babylon. And all have been, uh, they, all the ships on the sea have been uh, making money through her, which means there's been some significant increase in her port capacities. Okay? And she's not on the ocean. That, uh, the city of Babylon is going to be on the Euphrates River, but that's not an ocean city. Now, I recognize there's a lot of ways to get uh, goods travel back and forth. I, I get that. But this, says, this is specific to the ocean, the ocean, the ocean. This is, that's kind of the whole focus here. So I just have a thought that some version of another significant Panama Canal kind of a thought process is going to connect some bodies of water via the Euphrates or something like that. So I just think that there's going to be some way to tie in the city of Babylon at an even greater way to make it a more significant port accessible city. And maybe that will look different than the way I just described it, but some version or another, Babylon is going to become the key port uh, for the planet. And specifically with relation to the water guys, okay? Because everything in there was all maritime. All right. So now, uh, the trade goods of the global harlot. Now, I just put these on here because the passage is kind of overt. I mean, it's, it seems a little over the top, actually, if you don't uh, put it in context a little bit. So look at uh, Revelation 18, 12 through 13. The prophet John, the Holy Spirit, the Lord wanted to make sure in Revelation chapter 18 that extensive detail <coughs> was given about which traded goods are being traded in Babylon. That doesn't mean that these are the only ones, but it does mean specifically these will be traded, every one of them. Not one of them left off. Every one of them that's listed will be traded and that it was important for the end time church, I just want us to understand that, the book of Revelation will have had more relevance and importance for the end time church than potentially all generations before it put together, okay? Because we're the ones that are going to actually experience this mess. So the Holy Spirit wanted the end time church to know every single one of these pieces of merchandise. It would have been so much easier to list four or five and include some word like et cetera. 
You know, it would have been a lot easier, but that's not what happened. Can you just imagine John sitting there listening to the angel say one after another, or John watching one after another and feeling the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? No, you gotta write that down. You write that one down. You better write that down. There's 29. In this list, there's 29. I don't know that there's a list. I could be wrong on this point. Somebody go find it. I don't know that there's a single list in the whole Bible besides of human names in the, in the lineage. I don't know that there's a list anywhere in the Bible of 29 things. That's a lot of things in a list. So I just kind of look at all that and go, this is somehow more important than we're thinking. So here's the list. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood and every kind of object of ivory and every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense and uh, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil and fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. Now, I broke these down into some categories, and if you don't like my categories, make up your own. But I just came up with some categories of what I was witnessing here as what I think helps us to see uh, uh, how these things are working together and a piece of what's being communicated in each group. One is prestige and wealth. You've got this list of really precious gems and things that are talking about luxury and wealth. Then you've got structural building materials. I just want to say this. I think that under Babylon, from a purely worldly perspective, from a purely human perspective, from a purely think back to the Tower of Babel, what were they trying to do? They're trying to build the biggest, best tower ever. I think under Babylon rule, I think it will be the single most prosperous time in human history from a worldly perspective. We will see more buildings and cities erected. We'll see more structures completed. There's never been this level of unity before. So when things are flowing smoothly, things can be built quicker. When the rules are, are all working in, in each other's favor, a lot can be done. I think that Babylon is probably going to make as much money off of building and expansion as it will off anything else. Also, decorative building materials. Every new structure that's going to be built is going to have access to all the good stuff, marble and bronze and every kind of ivory. I mean, these are just interesting building materials uh, if you're just building a shed. Um, the, these are going to really be like, it's gonna, this is speaking of the significant impact of what the uh, construction industry is going to witness during that period of time. Food goods. You know, just as a point of uh, reference, the birth pains, the period of the birth pains and the period of Babylon's rise and prominence are the same period of time. So while Babylon is going to be prospering like crazy, the earth is also going to be in tumult over all of the various birth pain issues. And so that part of those birth pangs are famines and droughts and things that impact food. Babylon says, oh, don't worry. We've got all the food funneling through our system. It's going to be another way that she gets rich. It's going to be another way that Babylon is going to really be able to hold it over those that refuse to partner with her. She's going to have access to the greatest measure of food and the, all the, the uh, production industries of, of food and processing and everything. It's going to be really intense. There's a lot of things on that list, nine in that list. Also, demon worship. Now, I may be reading into this in a way that this uh, passage was not overtly trying to say. If that's the case, 
It's still on the list because we know that Babylon is greatly connected to demon worship. There's a lot of, uh, we covered it a little bit in a previous session, a couple of them actually. Um, But Babylon is going to have a lot of demon worship going on. The reason I put fragrant oil and frankincense in this is because historically within the Bible, we see those two things being used frequently in demonic practices and uh, demonic offerings and such. And Babylon is not going to be operating in righteousness. She's, her name is wickedness. That is the way that Zechariah described the harlot Babylon. This is wickedness. So if wickedness has got access to things that historically the enemies of Israel and the pagan nations would use frankincense and would use uh, fragrant oils in their pagan worship, it just seems to me that that might well be part of what's happening there. Now again, if that's not what was intended, it's still going to be happening in great abundance if, even if those two things were not specifically pointing us in that direction. Weapons of warfare. Horses and chariots make this list. I don't think that that will be the end of it. I think that any uh, form of warfare item will make it into Babylon's economy. Uh, She for sure will not miss out on the opportunity to be able to make money off of warfare. But I also want to point out the fact that horses and chariots are non-negotiables and are not to be interpreted. Just like you don't interpret food to mean something else. You don't interpret, you know, cattle and sheep. You don't interpret, uh, you know, any of the other things. Fragrant oil. You don't, you don't interpret fragrant oil to equal, you know, pixie rocks. I mean, it's like the, these, these are things that are like concretely written. This is pretty interesting because at the end of the age, we are going to see a rise in the role of horses and chariots in this whole global system. Now, right now, in our modern approach to things, we can't much imagine how horses are going to be like that big of a deal. And we certainly can't picture chariots. That just doesn't, those things are not on our radar right now. I don't know. I don't have understanding about how they will, but I'm telling you they will. Somehow the, uh, the other, when we get to the end of this thing, chariots and horses are going to have a significant part to play in the global economy of Babylon. Now, maybe it'll just be for reasons that aren't you know, so overt. I don't know. Maybe horses become the new thing that everybody wants to have in their backyard. I don't know. Chariots, everybody wants one in their, you know, living room. It's like, if you got a chariot, it's a sign of wealth. I don't know. All I know is it's a significant traded good in end time Babylon. Horses and chariots. Next, human trafficking. It says both the bodies of men and it says the souls of men. I think these are actually dealing with a couple of different areas that present very heinous possibilities. This language seems to present not only uh, human trafficking in the sense of, you know, the sex slave industry, but possibly human sacrifice, even cannibalism, occult activity. Remember, Babylon will be the most wicked humanity has ever been before. And we have examples of all the gnarly stuff I just said in history. We have examples of it. It's, it's in the Word. It's, in, it's in, natu- uh, uh, in human history that's documented on record. But Babylon will be even more wicked. And it says that the bodies and the souls of men will be part of the economic traded system in Babylon. It'll be part of what's there. That's just horrifying. All right. Uh, transitioning here just real quickly. I'm going to spend much time on it because we don't have much time to give. Um, aspects of life never to occur again. Again, this is another one of those, you sure did say it a lot and loud and repeatedly, 
It's kind of like, I think a few words would have gotten the trick, you know, gotten the job done, uh, but there was a much uh, belaboring of this point in order that we would understand aspects of life that will never occur again within the, uh, the district of Babylon, the, the confines of where that city is. I'm not going to read you all the verses. I'm just going to give you the list. You can read the verses on your own. Uh, most of them are Revelation verses. Some of them I dipped into other places as well as to give you another uh, you know, point or two. No more music will ever be heard in Babylon ever again. It specifically says it. No more music. No more working of any trade, workers of any trade. There will never again be work done in Babylon. The millstone will never be used. Millstones are used in relationship to food productivity, grinding grain, that kind of stuff. No more food production in Babylon ever again. It's really interesting when you go and you read Revelation 18, you know, what a, probably a verse about, I don't know, maybe about 17 through 23, something like that. <laughs> Just over and over the phrases say again and again, never will this happen, never will this happen, and details given about it in order to really make a very lo uh, loud statement about Babylon. Never have the light of a lamp again. No more weddings will occur. She will never again be inhabited. I gave you a bunch of verses on that one because that's really the final point. All those are just uh, parts of what never being inhabited will equal. Because if something's never inhabited again, well then, if it doesn't have inhabitants, then it doesn't have people getting married. If it doesn't have inhabitants, it doesn't have people making food. If it doesn't have inhabitants. But, uh, but it really goes into all the detail of each one of those things that will never happen again. And lastly, what we'll look at for about 30 seconds here is heaven triumphing over Babylon. Now check the uh, juxtaposition here. Okay, you've got the nations, the kings, the merchants, everybody in the trading system on the ocean, they're all crying out, they're weeping, they're mourning, there's this ache in the heart, oh, Babylon, we're, you know, you'll never rise again. Such pain. Heaven is the exact opposite. In the same moment that the earth is crying out in agony and pain, Heaven is saying, you will weep and mourn uh, uh, while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your joy will be, uh, but your grief will be turned into joy. This is, this is Jesus in uh, the book of John. He's telling his disciples, a time is coming where you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your, your grief will be turned into joy. A period of time where the, the apostles and the saints are going to be martyred while the world is rejoicing. That's the period of Babylon's rule. But it says it's going to get flipped around and your grief will be turned into joy. There will be a time coming where you will be celebrating in joy while everybody else is mourning. And that's this next verse, Revelation 18, verse 20. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. It's that exact passage that we just read in John 16. It's the exact thing un unfolding is that heaven and all the saints are rejoicing over her judgment while the nations are in turmoil and agony about it. Okay. Well, let's break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Three groups, seven, eight. Luke, can I get you to move over here by the door? Caitlin's here in the middle. Andy will be in the back. Groups of seven or eight. Move your chairs around. We're going to go into a time of discussion. We've got some questions for you to look at uh, and talk through, and then uh, we'll come back together for a little bit of Q&A here in a few minutes. 
Yeah, so uh, the question is, with modern technology, uh, what role will it play? Will it be the whole part of it? Will it be part of it in relationship to merchants uh, physically needing to be in Babylon or being able to do trading over the phone, over telecom, over hologram, over the metaverse? Um, uh, and I, I think that for sure all of those things will very much be the case, but you've got a number of verses like the one that we read tonight that said, let us leave Babylon, go back to our home country and stop doing trade in Babylon. And so th that's, I mean, that take that at face value that there will be a significant uh, place purpose for uh, in-person in reality within the, the marketplace of Babylon. And of course, Amazon doesn't cease to exist. You know, people will still be every version of buying things online and such, but there's something about commerce hubs that, um, that uh, attract uh, human physical presence to look people in the eye, do business, make deals. Uh, you know, there's a reason that we have embassies. There's no reason an embassy has to exist in modern technology as far as physical property uh, on the ground belonging to a country that's another country in Washington, D.C. You don't have to have that. But you want that physical ambassador there on the ground to be able to represent, to have conversations, to look people in the, in the eye, to be in meetings, all that kind of stuff. And so I don't think that dynamic is going to go anywhere. And whether I think it does or doesn't, you've got a number of verses that talk about the physical, you know, being there, even the standing far off as though they weren't a minute ago. They were not standing far off. A minute ago, they were embedded, involved, and now they're standing far off. So there's a number of those verses that just talk about that from a, a, a proximity standpoint. But I do think we're only going to continue to see more of all the virtual uh, marketplace realities that, of course, Babylon will uh, take a great advantage of. So great question. Caitlin. Okay, so if bodies and souls are two different things, uh, what would why would that be distinct? Um, and uh, the point was made that uh, uh, what translation was it? ESV. Okay, so at least ESV uh, reads that uh, it's uh, slaves, and then it says that is human souls. Um, I think if you look in the majority of the translations, uh, you find the distinction between the two. Uh, that was what I did. I went, I, I did a little bit of homework on it, not a lot, uh, but a little bit of homework to see that the majority did make the distinction. Why I think the distinction matters. I think when it says bodies, we're talking about all of the... Uh, all of the horrible things, um, you know, labor, sex trafficking, um, the, the body being used. I think when it says souls, I think it's actually dealing more with human sacrifice. I think it's actually talking more about that soul is the commodity, not the body that's in it. And we're going to do something with that soul in order to accomplish demonic activity. And so the whole thought process of, uh, of sacrifice and that kind of thing, I think, is actually why the distinction is made. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's my, that's, my that's my take. And I could be wrong on that, but that's what I'm thinking. Andy. So the question is, um, 
what is the spiritual impact of Babylon being judged, the vacuum that's created right before the Antichrist takes over, the looming fear and terror that everybody's experiencing in that moment, uh, uncertainty, what, what's the spiritual impact? I think that, and, and you alluded to it, I think that probably that's your greatest window for revival. Uh, you know, that's... One, just as a real point of a timing issue that's super important to the answer, we are one minute away from everybody taking the mark of the beast and being irredeemable. Once they take the mark, they're irredeemable. They cannot be saved. Once they take the mark of the beast, it's done. But we're talking about the moment right before that. So when Babylon falls, Antichrist has not yet set up the global system. Even once he sets up the global uh, take the mark of the beast system, that doesn't get universally put into place in five minutes. That's going to take time. It says that he's at war against the nations, taking over nations. So that means a minute ago, this nation wasn't under his jurisdiction. It did not have the mark of the beast system universally applied. Now he takes that nation over. He's going to put that mark of the beast system into place. But even though he's in charge, of the nation, you don't get the mark of the beast system across the entire landscape of that nation in 15 minutes. It, 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 it's progressive. It's going to take a little bit of effort. So we're in the window right before the reprobate can't be redeemed. So there is going to be absolutely that final last push for revival, the gospel. Not only that, you and I, if we, if we make it to that moment, we're going... Jesus is T minus three and a half years away. I mean, it's like, like let's put this thing into high gear. Uh, let's go get martyred. Let's just go do it today. Let's who's with me? And we just go out and we, and because we know the time is near, we understand the hour, we understand the assignment, we understand the the weight of it. We're prophesying judgments. So I think that the the impact of wickedness and the the wickedness that will be rejoiced in is all of a sudden taken away. Now there's pain, terror, torment, mourning. Now there's a wickedness that will oppress and force worship. That's not an enjoyable wickedness like the wickedness a minute ago under, and, uh, under uh, Babylon's rule. So while wickedness won't go anywhere, it will just change faces. Everybody's going to love Babylon. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to worship the Antichrist and they don't like him. And they don't like what he's doing, and they don't like that they that he just killed their brother, and they don't they don't like any of that. And so, uh, so the measure of oppression and wickedness that's going to be experienced there, I think that's going to create a very dynamic spiritual atmosphere where we all know when there's angst and pain, people are more open to the possibility of God, to deliverance, to the in need of things. The Holy Spirit is going to be anointing the church operate in signs and wonders at no as at no level in uh, human history so that is going to be a tremendous moment uh, for revival and and push and we don't know exactly know how that will all flesh out but we can know for sure that the crisis especially if we're the ones that you know we've got relationship with our family members and 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 others that are kind of on our shores or whatever and we're telling them the storyline ahead of time and they're shaking their head at us and going Babylon is never going to fall there's no guy going to burn it. You just wait and see. You're wrong. Call me. It's coming. And then it happens exactly like you told them it would from the word of God. I think there's going to be a measure of receptivity. I don't mean everybody, but more people than the day before. Uh, just the pain factor is going to cause that. So a uh, great question. All right, worship leader or whoever's next, come on up. Well, Father, we thank you so much for the word. It's
This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.